Well, listen, we're going to pick it up right at chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, so far what we've covered is how Hannah could not have children, and Peninnah, her, uh, the, the other wife of Elkanah, uh, could have kids. And so Peninnah constantly uh, made jokes about Hannah and just rode her, the fact that she couldn't bear children. And then uh, finally she goes before the Lord, she prays, and uh, God honors her prayer, and she, and she commits that if he would give her a son, that she would give him back to the Lord. And that's exactly what the Lord did. He gifted her a child. And then she turned around after the child was weaned, and she gifted that child, Samuel, back to the Lord. And of course, Eli, uh, the priest at the time, he's the high priest. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were wicked men. Eli was a sinful man himself by the fact that he would not uh, deal with the, he would not restrain his sons who were priests from carrying out their acts of wickedness. And so uh, God spoke in chapter 2 to Eli through a man of God. We don't know the name of the man of God. We don't know who he is, which I think is really cool that in the Bible, here you have a man of God who is speaking to the high priest representing God the Father and giving a word of judgment to the priest. And the fact that God doesn't mention the name, which tells you that God will use anyone He chooses to be His messenger. You don't have to have a Bible degree to deal with God. It's not the qualification. It's the people who are faithful to God, who trust God, who <clears throat> desire to know God and study His Word. God will use you and he does use us. Amen? And so, so Eli got the bad word, man. I mean, it was a tough judgment that God brought upon Eli. And part of the, part of the judgment happens uh, right away. We're going to look at some of that tonight <clears throat> uh, and next week. But part of the judgment doesn't. It won't happen for uh, a number of years after Eli is gone that finally God carries out the, the, the final part of the, of the judgment against the house of Eli. It actually happens when Solomon is king. And so that means it's after David. So quite a few hundred years later. So let's go ahead if we can, pick up at verse 1 in chapter 3. Now, the boy Samuel <clears throat> was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, as we move into chapter 3 of our study in 1 Samuel, we're going to learn here of Samuel's calling to be a prophet of God. That's what this chapter really outlines, that Samuel is being called by God to be a prophet. Now, his calling is extremely dramatic. We're going to read about it. It's really a wonderful story. And, and, and sometimes we might even wonder why God isn't as dramatic in calling us to what He wants us to do. In fact, some of us even wonder, why doesn't God speak to me like He did to Samuel or to some of the Old Testament uh, prophets and, and uh, uh, leaders? And we're going to look at that as well. I, I really want to open the door to talk about uh, this whole idea of hearing from God. And what, is, what does that mean, scripturally speaking? to hear from God, as opposed to maybe what we see happening today with so many people saying they hear God for this and that and whatever. Now, 
It says that the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Understand that uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, he was not a Christian, but he was a Jewish historian, and he recorded that he thought Samuel would have been about 12 years old, uh, the age of accountability for a Jewish boy. Um, but we don't know that to be true. Many scholars believe that Samuel was probably in his early to mid-teens when this happened. So his mom brought him to the temple, gave him to the Lord, so Eli took him into the temple, and there the boy, right after he was weaned, so he was probably three to four years old when she brought him to the temple. And he remained there. Every year she would show up with a new set of clothes as he was growing, you know, and she spent time with him at Shiloh, Shiloh being the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle of God is, was, was, was kept in Shiloh. Shiloh was north of Jerusalem, and Shiloh was, uh, early on, that was the place where God's presence manifested, was at Shiloh. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, at Shiloh. And so uh, the boy grows up there in the temple, doing things uh, for the priest, uh, Maybe he's uh, taking out garbage. Maybe he's preparing elements uh, that, that he would have been allowed to, to touch. There were some things that only the priest could do, and God was very specific in how to do them. But there are other aspects of the ministry that probably Samuel grew up doing. But now he's probably a young teen, probably you know, 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. And... Uh, it's interesting, the same Hebrew term for boy also is identified with David when he slew Goliath. So it was, David was probably in his young teens as well when he slew Goliath. Okay? It's interesting that when the, on, when the only word of the Lord we read here in the, in, in, in the first two chapters of Samuel, uh, the word of the Lord was rare. It was not happening much. Why? Because the people were so far from God. But it wasn't just the people. The spiritual leaders, Eli, the high priest, he was adrift. His sons, who were priests at the temple, were far from God. They did not know the Lord. We talked about that last week. Uh, Eli knew the Lord. His sons did not know the Lord, the Bible says. And so, so because of all that, God was not speaking. You know, when, when we turn from God and choose to go our own path, maybe you've been there, maybe you've done that, where you just said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to head out and, yeah, I was raised in the church, but I'm going to sow my oats and figure out life for myself. God allows you to do that. God doesn't restrict you from doing that. He allows you to pursue whatever it is your, is in your heart's desire. And, and, and in doing that, God begins to use it. So there are times where um, uh, God has nothing to do with the direction we're going. We're choosing that. And He will use those experiences of pain and sorrow and heartache to turn us back to Him. There's other times scripturally where God actually led them into trial and difficult circumstance. He led them into it to teach them how to trust Him in difficult places. One example would be when the Israelites were under Moses' leadership 
and they came to the edge of the Red Sea. And of course, the people that are in the back of this million people march, they see Pharaoh's army coming. They can see the smoke rising off of the wilderness. And they're like, send the word to the front. Hey, we're in trouble here. We got to go. And well, they can't go. They've got mountains that are on both sides and they've got a sea in front of them. Where are they going to go? They'd have to turn around and go right back towards Pharaoh's rock. That's the only way out. Guess who ordered that up? God did. God led Moses to that location so that he could then prove himself strong in their midst, that God could show up. The eyes of the Lord, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Moses' heart was completely God's. I do not believe for one second that when when uh, Moses saw the smoke of the army coming and he saw the mountains and he saw the sea, I don't think for a second Moses was going, chillax, no big deal, we got this thing covered, God's going to take care of us. I don't believe that. I believe Moses probably had some moments that were very anxious at, at that time. He didn't know how or what. He now is in a place where he's got all these people that are there because of him, and he's looking to God and going, God, what are you doing? But the Lord instructed him what to do when he got there. God never told him what to do when you reach the sea ahead of time. It's after he was in that difficult place that God began to speak to him. And of course, we know the, the rest of the story. And so th this is a situation here where you know Samuel is growing up in the presence of the Lord, but yet he's a young boy. He doesn't really know the Lord, not the way the priest does. He doesn't have a personal relationship uh, with the Lord. And, but, his, but, but Eli's sons could have had and should have had that relationship. How can you become a priest and not know the Lord? And you say, well, are you just guessing that they didn't? No, the Bible said in chapter 2 that they didn't know the Lord. And they're priests. Which begs to ask the question, does that still happen today? that we have spiritual leaders, pastors, priests, prophets, who don't know the Lord. Yes, we do. That's right. It always has been, there always will be those who are doing it for other reasons than for a pure heart reason of serving the Lord out of a calling. Did you know, uh, this shocked me to learn now, this was, would have been about 10 years ago that the statistic came to me that uh, 400 pastors leave the ministry every month. 400. Now, keep in mind, that's including those who are being called in on a monthly basis. But 400 are leaving. And the number one reason they gave for the pastors leaving was uh, tension, stress, anxiety, couldn't handle it, too much. I, I would suggest if you go back and look at the 400 a month, I got to believe that a good number of those were never called. They, they, they saw the need to help people, they love people, they want to help people, and they, so they thought, well, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor, then I can help people. That's not a calling. That's a vocation. A calling, you don't leave a calling. It's who you are. 
Now, that doesn't mean you have a title in a church somewhere, but you're never going to stop ministering to people. You're still going to shepherd people. You're going to care for people. You're going to love people. Okay? It's a calling. And so these two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, there was no calling. They were simply following in the footsteps of their dad, but they weren't even following him. They were wicked. And worst of all, their father let them get away with it. He knew they were wicked, but he still did nothing to restrain them from wickedness. And so that's the story we have here so far. This, this is an interesting situation. Because of that, the word of the Lord was rare. There were no frequent visions, the Scripture says. Now, God will speak and guide when His people seek Him. I believe that. Do you believe that? Uh, when, when, when His ministers seek Him diligently, God will respond. In fact, Jeremiah 29.13 says this, You will seek Me and find Me when... You search for me with all your heart. That passage reminds me, it's almost like I get the feeling that God's playing hide and seek with us. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You, God's saying you will see, you will find if you'll search, but you got to be diligent. And that's what we need as Christians. Every one of you are called to be a minister of God. You might not be called to be a pastor, but you're called to be a minister. And, and as a minister, there is a responsibility upon you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, to disciple the saved. That's on every believer. If you think for one second that God, in, that God intended that the church discipleship program would disciple people, you, you haven't read your Bible. Nowhere in Scripture is there a discipleship program at the local church. The discipleship program is you going out, winning souls, and discipling souls. Every one of us are called, not, not a vocation, it's a calling. It, it, no matter what you do in life, you still share Christ and you still disciple others. You say, well, oh, I, I, I don't have a degree. How could I possibly disciple others? I, I don't know much. You start where you are. You, you teach what you know. You say, well, I don't know much. Teach what you know. You know who God the Father is. You know who Jesus Christ the Son is. You know who the Holy Spirit is. Continue to study and grow in the Word of God. That's what Peter said. Peter said that God wants us to grow up in the, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every one of us are called to that. And then you find somebody who knows less than you know that's saved, and you start teaching them what you know. There's a place for everybody on the wall, folks. So let's say you know this much about the Lord. Let's say you're a new believer it's, it's a sad thing when this is all you know and you've, been, and you've known the Lord for 25 years, okay? Let's, let's pray that we don't have that situation. But let's say you just know a little bit about the Lord. Well, guess what? That little bit, somebody else needs it. You need to be pouring into somebody. You need to be growing with them. When you, when you meet with someone to say, hey, I'm trying to grow in the Lord. Is that a desire in your heart? If it is, why don't we start meeting together, having coffee once a week where we can talk about the Lord. And I'll share with you what I'm facing, and let's try to find Scripture and apply that Word to our situations in life. And let's just be like, we'll come together, 
and it'll be like going into a, into a, a mechanic shop and sparks are just flying, man, because iron is sharpening iron. And I'm telling you right now, most Christians don't need another sermon. That's not the, that's not the issue. We've already heard more sermons than we can possibly digest. I'll just say it this way. Christians, in, in large part, are educated above their obedience. So here we are getting more and more and more and more and doing nothing with it. And so th this is a challenge to you. This is a, an encouragement to you. God is ready right now to use you in the ministry. And you find someone who you think is in the same place you're at, or maybe they're not quite where you are in terms of the number of years you've had in the Lord. You come to them and you line up with them and you start sharing together. And let iron sharpen iron. And then every day when you go to Publix, when you go to Piggly Wiggly, wherever it is you shop, you, 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 you look for people that you don't know to share Christ with. Looking for opportunities for the God to open the door wide for you to be able to say, hey, how, how are you doing? You, you look heavy today. You, you okay? Well, I'm not doing well. I, I've got a situation at home that's really tough. And Oh, man, I'm sorry. Tell me more about it. I want to hear about it. And, and would you mind if I prayed with you? Oh, no, I don't mind. I, I, I need prayer. Awesome. Are, are, are you a believer? Well, um, I've always gone to church. I don't know necessarily if I'm a believer or not. Well, can I share with you what that looks like, what it means to be a believer? I mean, it's just amazing how the doors just fly open every day. Opportunities. Hairstylists. Waiters and waitresses. Going to Costco or Sam's at the gas station and you're out there pumping gas and there's a person on the other side of that pump pumping gas. Open the door, say something to them. Hey, how you doing today? What you don't want to say is, what do you think of our nation right now? <laughs> You'll never get back to the gospel if that happens. But no, I'm just saying, every one of us at Vero Bible Fellowship who are saved are called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And it doesn't stop with the witness. We're called, every one of us, to share with other believers and disciple them, grow them in the Lord. We're all called. We're all called. Uh, Ron Carruthers is here tonight, and uh, Ron has taken time out of his schedule. I just really messed up because I got a wire that's inside my pocket of my... Let me find that thing. Here it is. Uh, Ron uh, has really begun to, to connect with uh, some of the boys from Teen Challenge and build relationship. And uh, so he's done that. <laughs> and, uh, and in doing that, he's had opportunities to attend some of their events. They just had a graduation service, and one of the boys, Ron, has, has invested time with that boy, encouraging him, being a good listener. I don't know if you noticed even last weekend, but uh, we had a number of boys from Teen Challenge who came forward to receive prayer. I don't know all the reasons why they came, 
but our prayer partners, our elders were able to pray with them. That is what I'm talking about. But it shouldn't just happen at church. So Ron goes out there, goes to the graduation service for the one boy that he's been pouring into. He said, Greg, it was the greatest thing. I I've never experienced anything like it. He said, if you think that our Thanksgiving dinner that we did for the boys was special and important, he goes, wait till you go to a graduation service. Well, in a small way, I probably understand it because I, I've been to the Dunklin Memorial Camp, which is a drug and alcohol 12-month residential program, Christian-based. I've been to their graduation for their men. And to hear those men get up after a 12-month, I'm just all over the place. Um, and there's a lot of me to go around, let me tell you. Okay. So anyway... Uh, they get up and just share their heart, and they, they weep where they were when they came into the program, where they are now, the ministry calling that God has given them. You go, into, you go to Dunklin out there in the middle of nowhere, west of Stewart, Florida, out in the woods. It's just a cowboy land, and you go out there, and they've got a cafeteria for these men to eat in. You walk in, and there's a wall, and on the wall, the whole wall is pictures, framed pictures of families. And it's these men who went out there, drug addicts, alcoholics, kicked out of their homes, divorced. And God got a hold of them when they were broken and hurting. And they allowed God to minister and rebuild their lives. And God restored those men to their families. And those pictures are on the wall. And there's a big, right there in large print, it says, of all these pictures, it says, jewels from the devil's junk pile. Woo, I get chills right now. Why not be part of something where you're investing in someone else and caring for them? My goodness, it's so easy for us just to focus on the way things are. Hey, don't tell me how it is. Tell me how it ought to be. We all know how it is. But who are we investing in? Who are we pouring into? So Samuel is in the temple Thank the Lord for this, but Eli mentored Samuel growing up in the temple the way he should have, and he never turned out like his two sons. So for some reason, Eli got it right in the temple. He just got it terribly wrong as a parent for his own boys. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Deuteronomy 4, this is one, write it down. Deuteronomy 4, 23 through 29. Go ahead and turn. Uh, we'll read it. It's, it for, it's going to be about seven verses. 4, 23 through 29. I want you to hear this. God is always wanting you to pursue Him. That's, that's the covenant relationship. He, you're now in Christ. You are part of the family of God. And God wants you to pursue Him, come after Him. David even said, come hard after Him. And look at this. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God. He was saying this to them before they entered the, prom before they entered the covenant in the promised land, okay? Here's what he says. Take, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and, and make carved Im a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When your father, 
uh, children and children's children have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke his, Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. Now, let me just stop and say to you, this is Old Testament teaching. We now live under the grace of God, amen, who are saved. Christ has fulfilled the work for the believer. There is no judgment to come. You are not going to be judged whether you should go to heaven or hell. That's already been settled at the foot of the cross. When you receive Christ as your personal Savior, it's just as if you never sinned. That's what it means. Justification, just as if you never sinned. Justification by faith in God. And now the curse has been lifted off of you. But, but look at this. Now, here's the thing. While we are not judged by the Father, because Christ took our judgment on Himself, right? Yet, in our day, under grace, we can be chastised by the Father. He will chasten those that He loves. You're His family, and as a good daddy, if you get out of line, He's going to come after you, and He's going to correct you. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. We all need it. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in the number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve God, uh, gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. If you're going to go ahead and follow after false gods, then I'm going to hand you over to false gods. And guess what? They can't do anything for you. But I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. And look at this, verse 29. But you... But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you search after Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Even if you turn to false gods, and then you'll turn back to God and seek Him diligently, you will find Him. Now this is the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. How much more should we be seeking God? And how much easier is it to seek God when the Spirit is in you every day calling you to one thing, calling you to be conformed to the image of Jesus more today than yesterday. That is the work of sanctification. The Holy Spirit conforming you to the image of Jesus. But it takes one thing. You've got to be willing to go with Him. You've got you to be willing and obedient. Otherwise, you'll just be a 30-year-old Christian who has never discipled anybody, has never shared his faith with anyone. And to be honest with you, what the Scripture teaches in the New Testament is if you're not doing those things, there's a good chance you're not really saved. Real believers, the Bible says, real believers will pursue, will per persevere in the last days doesn't mean that they're gonna, their works will save them. It means that when you're truly saved, you won't drift off and stay away. You won't take your faith for granted. You'll, you'll, you'll allow the Spirit to use you. Now, I, I'm pulling a lot out of these first, you know, the first verse, second verse. But I'm just telling you, if we learn nothing else tonight from Samuel, 
Let's, let's learn from looking at Hophni and Phinehas. And let's learn from looking at Eli, who knew the Lord and yet did not show restraint for his sons. And then also look at Samuel himself, a boy, a teenage boy, who doesn't even really know the Lord yet. He can't even recognize God's voice yet. Doesn't have that level of discernment. But yet, he serves the Lord faithfully where he is. And he grows, and the Bible says that Samuel grew in favor with God and with man. The same thing that was said of Jesus when he was a boy. Well, the same should be said of us. Amen? Okay, let's keep moving here. Verse 2, at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. Now, let's break this down if we can. When it says that Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, this was true of Eli both physically and spiritually. Eli was not in a place spiritually where he should be leading Israel any longer. Hence, that's why God is raising up Samuel. God's raising up Samuel. When it says the lamp of God had not yet gone out, when Eli's lying in there and in the holy place, and, and, and you need to understand, that's a figure of speech, okay? Uh, that means before dawn. So it was before dawn. The, the, here, here's the way that worked. Uh, the golden lampstand would be lit at twilight. And that would allow the lamp to burn through the night until the sun comes up. So it, it's, God's about to call young Samuel before dawn. That's really what we're saying here. Okay, He's being called by, by the Father. Uh, the lamp would then burn from evening until morning. Now, this means that it was just Samuel and the Lord alone with this golden lampstand still burning. And God calls Samuel to a prophetic ministry. When God called Samuel, his answer was, here I am. Uh, that passage alone leads us to believe God spoke to Samuel in an audible voice because he, he responded audibly. Now, there's no guarantee. Honestly, you could make a plausible argument that it wasn't audible, it was an inner voice that spoke to Samuel. Uh, it, it's possible, but because he responded audibly, he probably heard God audibly. Okay, How many of you would want to hear that? Huh? Hear God audibly when you pray and ask for direction and, and, and wisdom, and God audibly speak to you. Okay, That would freak me out. Uh, people say, you know, if the Lord came and stood in, for, in front of me, you know, I'm not worried about that one bit. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll represent myself. I, I'll give account of my life. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. If the Lord presents Himself, you will fall down as dead before Him. And so, so here Samuel responds, here I am. Uh, and, and that is a beautiful way to respond to God's Word, by the way. When God speaks to us by His Word, uh, here I am, Lord. Here I am. That's how Isaiah responded when the, he saw the Lord in the temple. 
And the Lord said, Whom shall I send? And he said, Lord, send me. Beautiful, beautiful. The right response. By the way, there are several other uh, great men and women of God who responded to the Lord the same way as Samuel when he spoke to them. I'll give you the passages where you can just look it up later, the references. Abraham did it in Genesis 22.1. Here I am. J uh, Jacob did it in Genesis 46.2. Moses did it in Exodus 3.4. Isaiah, he responded, here I am, in, in Isaiah 6.8. Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. All of those. Uh, let me say them again quickly. Abraham, Genesis 22.1. Jacob, Genesis 46.2. Moses, Exodus 3.4. Isaiah 6.8 in Isaiah. And Ananias, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. So, the, so verse 4 here, let's move on. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for your, your, you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. Now, you might wonder, why would he have run to, well, he heard an audible voice. There's nobody else in the temple except Eli. So you go to Eli. Plus, we already know Eli's older his eyesight is leaving him, he probably thought Eli needed help with something. So he went to Eli, and it was not Eli. Eli said, go, go lay down, you're fine. And again, the Lord, verse 6, uh, said, Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call you, son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, there it is. He's serving in the Lord's house, he loves the Lord, but he doesn't know how to discern the Lord and how the Lord communicates. So the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli finally, he perceived, Eli's getting a little uh, dim in his spiritual discernment, but he finally gets it on the third try and, and says to Samuel, uh, he said, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That has to be the most wonderful way to start your Bible study every day. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. That ought to, that's the proper attitude. That's the right perspective that we should carry as we approach the Lord in prayer, approach the Lord in, in, in study of His Word. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So uh, the, let me just say this. This is where we need to be careful. I want to take a side road just for a second based on what we're talking about here because most people today uh, are in the habit of saying things like, God told me, or when I asked the Lord, this is what He said. And they, have the, they give you the sense that they actually hear God. Now, if you ask them, you audibly hear the Lord? No, 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 I don't audibly hear, but I just know what the Lord's saying to me. Um, we need to be real careful with that, real careful. It's only natural for us to want to hear from God, and we're, especially when we're facing difficult decisions, when we need direction, when we want to know His will. Uh, that's a good thing. But we can easily fall into the trap of thinking God said something to us when in reality we're just hearing our own thoughts and our own desires. Or worse, 
we're hearing from the enemy. And where that sounds to some of you so foreign, I can't imagine you're, you're trying to hear the Lord and you, the enemy. Uh, Satan's cunning. He's a deceiver. And, and Paul even said, I'm, I'm concerned that just as Satan deceived Eve with his craftiness, that you too might be led astray from a simple, pure devotion to Christ. We need to be very careful with this whole concept of hearing God. And we, we say it without even thinking about it, it seems like. And we need to be much more careful with it. If I can just share this, I think it's important to remember that the primary way that God speaks to us ever since the Bible was canonized, the primary way that God speaks to us is by His revealed, written Word. That is it. When we want to hear God's voice, the Bible is where we should look. In it, you'll find the revealed will of God. It's just a matter of obedience to the Word at that point. Just turn to the Word, first and foremost. That's where you will hear God. And when you know the Word, now you become very familiar with the ways and the means of God. So it's not that you hear Him audibly saying something to you. You just know Him. You know His character. You, you don't hear somebody saying, uh, well, you do, unfortunately, but you're not going to say, well, you know, I was praying about this, and the Lord told me it's okay to divorce my wife because she's not paying any attention to me anymore, and I'm going to find a wife that will care about me. I can pretty much tell you you're not hearing from the Lord. Because the Bible, if you read the Bible, God's given you marital status to be married for life. Remain married. See, sometimes it's not that we, the reason we say the Lord said and we say something ridiculous like that is because we're really just trying to avoid the Bible. We've got to go around the Bible to get what we want, so I'm going to come up with this idea that the Lord's telling me this. Well, you don't know, how do you know, Pastor Rick, the Lord's not telling me? Because the Bible says it. It's as simple as that. You've you got to be careful because you can easily, not only does Satan lead you astray, you can lead yourself astray. The Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. It's so wicked. And so we've got to be so careful. That's the primary way of hearing God, the Word of God. Okay? Now, the Scripture also says that we should follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Romans 8.14, it actually you know, says uh, that you're following the Holy Spirit. You're, you're allowing the Spirit to lead you. Okay, well, what is that talking about? Well, here's what we know from God's Word. The Holy Spirit will never lead you contrary to Scripture. In fact, the Bible says this of the Holy Spirit. He never speaks on His own. Really, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is centered around the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. When, when the Ho Holy Spirit will remind you what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will remind you of the truth of the Scripture. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead you. In John it says He will lead you into all truth. But when you get this idea that the Holy Spirit is telling you that you need to go out and buy a boat and He even told you what color and what size to get, you ain't hearing from the Holy Spirit. Because that's way out of his uh, direction and role. 
that God's given him. The Holy Spirit only bears witness to Christ. But yet we'll use that. You know, well, I'm just trying to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When does the Holy Spirit lead you into ridiculous things like that? It's not in the Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. You want to know what the will of God is? That you be sanctified. What's the sanctification? Being conformed to the image of Christ every day. Who's going to do that? The Holy Spirit in you. Now you've got a whole life filled with nothing but trying to follow God by the Spirit. Amen. Stop trying to get something else from the Holy Spirit when you know good and well that's of the flesh. It's not even the Spirit speaking. It's amazing how we can do that. He goes on, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So when somebody comes and says, Well, you know, um, I ended up getting drunk the other night, and uh, I was trying to follow the leading of the Spirit. I thought he wanted me to go in and witness to those guys in the bar. Or maybe you just wanted a drink, and so you threw down the, the, the trump card. The Holy Spirit said to do it. Remember, some of you are as old as I am, and maybe some of you are a little older. Remember Flip Wilson? <laughs> the devil made me do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, some of us are saying, well, the Lord made me do it. Uh, he doesn't work that way. Here's what we know from God. The Holy Spirit will never lead contrary to the Scripture. If a person's considering having an affair, the Spirit will only lead that person back to marital faithfulness. If you hear anything other than that, then you're not in the Word, and you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Uh, th this is also uh, to understand about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit leads, He's not imparting new information. Hey, you know, the church has been around for 2,000 years, but I'm going to give you something nobody else knows. Believe me, everything that we're to know, God gave His disclosure, full disclosure. He didn't give us everything, but He gave us what He wanted us to have in this book. He's not looking for you to come up with something about Him outside of the book. You can't. You need to be real careful with some of these teachers that are out there pushing this whole thing about hearing God and, you know, just command the Lord to do this and, and declare this and, well, I'm going to take this. None of that stuff lines up with the Word of God. That is so flesh-driven, it's not the Lord. You just need to stay in here and live by this. That's what God calls us all to. Amen? If a person says, God told me or the Spirit led me to do such and such, and the action takes a contrary turn from Scripture, you ain't hearing God. And if you've got a friend who's saying that kind of stuff and then going out and behaving and acting out in a way contrary to Scripture, you need to lovingly let some sparks fly. Love them enough to be honest with them. Hey, listen, you know I love you, right? Yeah, I know you love me. Brother, what you're doing right now is not in alignment with God's will for your life. And you can't keep saying God's telling you it's okay. It ain't okay. Show me in Scripture where that's okay. That's a real friend. They might get angry. when You know, when you're in sin, the last thing you want to do is have somebody who makes a lot of sense come up and tell you that you're wrong. 
You want to you be dumb. And you want to hang out with, guess what you end up doing? You hang out with dumb people. You hang out with people who don't care about truth and discernment. So if they reject you, just know that's just where they're at. That's the condition of their heart right now. But you, you did what you were supposed to do so the Holy Spirit can do His work in them. And you still love them and you still come back and check up on them. Right? Don't quit on them. Keep checking up on them. But don't ever stop helping your friends and your loved ones, your family members who know the Lord, don't stop telling them that what you're saying is not in the Scripture. And I've got some pastor friends who have certain things they do in their church, and we've had long conversations. I said, brother, I love you, and I know you're called to ministry, but God did not call you to that activity. That is not of the Lord. I had some brothers who, they, they wanted to pray over these medallions we were going to give out to the first responders. They wanted to pray over them so that they, the, the, the first responders in our county would be safe for the next year. They were going to declare that, that for the next year, all the responders were going to be safe because we prayed over those coins. I said, now, now where, where, is, where is that coming from? Well, you know, uh, you know how Paul... Uh, people got healed just by walking by a shadow. I said, that's Paul. He was an original apostle of, of Christ. You're not. That stuff isn't in Scripture. You don't pr pray over a coin. That, that's, that's idol worship. A co somebody wearing a, a medallion is going to keep them safe? That's an amulet. That's what that is. That's not, a, that's not the Holy Spirit. And I, and I would say it in, in a kind way trying to help them see the error of their way. Remember when uh, Priscilla and uh, Aquila met up with Apollos because they heard Apollos' message. He was sharing half of the gospel. He didn't have an understanding of the whole gospel. So after he taught, they didn't walk over and say, dude, you're a false prophet, get out of here, don't ever come back. They said, hey, brother, can we go have lunch? Because there's some... There's some truth that you haven't come into yet that we want to share with you. They helped him. That's what a friend does. You point him back. You say, but I don't know the word that well. You just indicted yourself. Because if you're growing every day in the word of God, you'll learn more and more. And you'll have more understanding and greater discernment. The more you know, the greater you discern. You might not have a gift of discernment. That, that can be a special thing that some people have and others don't. But all of us are called to discern, right? Another uh, thing, uh, uh, way that God speaks today is through other people. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. Good counselors or advisors can help us see a situation with new eyes. But again, the Bible's key. Biblical preaching and sound biblical Christian material can be put in the advisor's category. God can use others to write articles, a blog or whatever, and it's filled with spiritual truth from the Word of God, and that's good. So seek those things when they line up with Scripture. But you need to have your Berean glasses on. Check them out. If they're saying stuff that's not in the Word, stop focusing on that teaching. Another way to hear God's voice is to pray and ask for wisdom. By the way, 
on that counselor thing. You can go to three, four, five counselors who supposedly are Christian and still get wrong advice. If three or four or five counselors all say the same thing and it's contrary to Scripture, that doesn't make it right because so many of them said it. It's still wrong. And yet, three, four, five who are saying what the Scripture says, you ought to pay attention because the Lord's probably trying to tell you something through them. Okay? Then also another way to hear God's voice is to pray and ask for wisdom. James 1.5, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. See, when we're facing difficult circumstances, what we really need to know is the wisdom of the Lord, right? That's what we need. I can't imagine becoming a president of the United States. I can tell you one thing. First thing I'm going to do is fall on my face before God with some humble, broken preachers, and I'm going to say, Lord, give me wisdom, like Solomon said. Remember? Lord, if you'll just give me wisdom to rightly judge your people, that's the greatest thing you can ask for for the Lord, from the Lord. And, 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 and God will give it. So you can ask Him for wisdom, and God will give you wisdom. doesn't mean He audibly speaks to you. He, he could give you that wisdom in a number of different ways. But he's, gonna, he's not going to withhold from you something that you desperately need. He said he'll give, without, he'll give liberally and upbraid not. He will not question you. Why, why are you asking? He's going to give you what you need. So, so it could be a, a friend. It could come through them. It could be a sermon. It could be an article. It could be a book. It could be an inner prompting of the Holy Spirit where you just sense in your spirit a peace comes over you on that direction you're seeking. But once again, again, listen, the written Word of God is the standard by which all thoughts, actions, ideas, and feelings must be judged. The Word of God. I'm so thankful. I've got to share this with you. Uh, periodically, uh, someone will come to me and they'll say, Greg, uh, you know, we, we've been to other churches. Uh, they've never come to Vero Bible or maybe they're going to try us out, but they'll say, I've just been looking for a church, and, and I'm, I'm shocked by the lack of uh, biblical scholarship in the pulpit, or I'm shocked by the lack of, of, of pastors preaching straightforward the Word of God. And I'm hearing that from a lot of guys. Now, when Rini and I, when we had a few weeks off there, a few months uh, after we were at First Church of God, um, we... we tried several places, and we settled at a church in St. Lucie where uh, the pastor brought the Word, and he brought it unapologetically. That was what we needed. We wanted that. We wanted to hear the truth. Lord, where we're needing you know, insight and understanding and wisdom and correction, we want to be under a preacher who's not afraid to give it. Amen. So, Somebody said to me after Sunday service, because we, you know, we kind of came hot and heavy on that thing, and somebody said, man, you just stepped all over everybody. I said, well, I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> glad to do it. If, if it's the Word, I'm glad to stand behind the Word. I don't, have a, I don't have an ounce of faith in my thoughts, in my words. I have every, every belief and, and faith in, in God's Word. That's where we need to live. Amen? Amen. Uh, we probably hit this pretty hard, but I, I just think there's so many people being led astray with this whole concept of hearing God, and, and, and we need to be careful of that. So let's look at verse 5. And, and, and ran to Eli. Samuel runs to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. 
But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and he, lied down, he lay down. And, and then he called again. The Lord called Samuel. And he got up. And of course, it was the Lord who was speaking to him. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, verse 7, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. The fact that the Lord came and stood, look at that, and the Lord came and stood, calling at, at, at other times. Um, that also is an indicator that it was an audible voice, because now the Lord's standing there. Okay? Um, pretty, pretty powerful. Uh, this was not a dream, this was not a state of subconscious you know, awareness. Uh, this is a, a literal experience, encounter with God. It is possible, scholars believe, it's possible he was having a Christophany. We've, all, we've, you know, we've heard of epiphanies. People have epiphanies. He was having an experience with Jesus in the Old Testament. Several times in the Old Testament, Christ showed up. Isn't that pretty cool? Remember when Jesus spoke to the Pharisee? He really twisted them good on this one. I mean, they went sideways and ballistic when they heard him say it. And he said, uh, they said, well, our father Abraham, you know, they're bragging on Abraham being their father. And he said, yeah, Abraham, yeah, he rejoiced when he saw my day. In other words, Jesus showed up in front of Abraham and Abraham rejoiced. Could you imagine what those Pharisees thought of that? Woo! That twisted them up good, man. I love it. So, so the Lord came and stood, and then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears, it will tingle. Basically what that means, if you want to translate that into the English, is I, I, I'm about to do something spectacular. And in other places in the Old Testament, tingling ears have always been a sign of severe judgment to come. And if you want some passages to back that up, 2 Kings 21.12 and Jeremiah 19.3. So on that day I will, fulfill, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. So if you remember back in the last chapter, God actually sent the man of God who told Eli of the judgment to come because he would not restrain his boys. And, and now God is confirming that through Samuel a boy, sending a boy to the high priest. He's not just a pastor in town. He is the big shot. And a boy, God sends a boy to say, remember what I said, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I, declare, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. That's why I'm going to punish forever. Uh, verse 14, Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That is, that is sobering. God's saying there is no way that you can return from this, this judgment. There is no room for repentance. 
that day's past. Which when Christ returns, that's exactly what's going to happen. People will come before the great white throne judgment, and it's too late to repent. That's a horrifying judgment here. God is saying to Eli and his family, it's too late. The opportunity's beyond you. The judgment that I'm giving is sealed. It will happen. Now, it's possible that the judgment declared by the man of God in 1 Samuel 2, 27 36 was a warning. And he could have repented from that time until now, and he didn't. But it's more likely that it wasn't a warning. God spoke the word through the man of God. And now God is just coming and confirming and saying to Eli, Samuel is my prophet for the future. Because he's, how does this boy know what the man of God told you before? Except that he's hearing and speaking my words. Now has a, has, it does raise the question for us, do we ever uh, come to a place where we, our sin cannot be atoned for by, by sacrifice or offering forever? And the answer to that is only if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit whose job is to bear witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You reject the Spirit, yes, you can be a place where there is no forgiveness for you. In fact, Hebrews 10.26, write it down. Hebrews 10.26 says, If we reject the work of Jesus Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Nothing else you can do about it. If you reject the Holy Spirit and His witness of Christ. So look at verse 15. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. I can imagine. Can you imagine that? This teenage boy having to approach the high priest. And, uh, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Hmm. Do not hide it from me. Listen to what Eli says now to the boy. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. I find it interesting that in this dialogue, Eli makes it clear to Samuel that he has the responsibility to bring the message even if it's bad news. Oh, how I wish more preachers would hear this. Too many times preachers are wanting to say the things that people want to hear. Tickling ears, which is a sign of judgment to come. And what people need is the truth. And, and they need to hear the unadulterated truth. Don't water it down. Don't package it. Don't sweeten it. Say it. Say it lovingly, but say it. Speak the truth in love. And you should do the same with people that you know claim to be a Christian and are living in sin. Love them enough to tell them the truth. They need to hear it. Eli was saying, don't hold back. And so that would probably be the right motivation for me if the priest said that uh, may, may more happen on you than happens on me from the judgment you're going to give me. I think I'd go ahead and tell him the truth. And he did. So Samuel, verse 18, told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Boy, give, give Eli credit, huh? He doesn't rebuttal God. He doesn't try to excuse himself or excuse his sons. 
Look what he says again. It's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. How did he know it was the Lord? Because the Lord already came to him once before with the same exact message. And Samuel, and it just shifts gears, okay? So now the, the future is going to happen for Eli. It's not good. God even said that there's going to be a sign in your lifetime of this judgment. And then the final part of the judgment of your family will happen long after you're gone. But to prove to you that that future judgment is going to happen to your family, I'm going to go ahead and let you have a sign while you're living of that judgment to come. And then God shifts gears completely. And the focus here is, look at this. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. So the Lord's presence was with Samuel. And by the way, this was the same presence that later would be with David, a young boy. And you'll say, where? And if you want to look at 1 Samuel 16, 18... And also 1 Samuel 18, 12, 16, 18 and 18, 12. The same presence that's with Samuel is now going to be with David later on. Whenever the Lord was with a man, that was a sign of validation by God of his choosing a particular man for a particular service. By the way, nothing compares to knowing that you are in the Lord. Nothing compares to knowing that what you're doing, how you're living, how you're approaching something is the way the Lord wants it. There is a difference between man confidence and God confidence. And you'll know the difference. When you're walking in the Lord, even if the world around you is going the other direction, when you walk in the Lord, there is a godly confidence that comes over you. It's not arrogant. Man's confidence is arrogant. God's confidence is not. You're not confident in you. You're confident in the fact that you are right now walking in the shadow of God. And if God goes over here, uh, my eyes are down on that shadow, I'm going to stay in the shadow. And there is a peace that surpasses all understanding that comes to you when you do that, when you stay in the shadow of God. When it says that the Lord was with Samuel and let none of his words fall to the ground, that means all of Samuel's prophecies from that day forward were going to come true. And, and, uh, and, and he would speak for the Lord. See, in that day, a prophet spoke for the Lord. It was the Lord who inspired the prophet. In that day, a prophet, his word that he spoke when the Lord inspired him was infallible and inerrant. It had no error. It had no, nothing that led to error. It was truly God's word through the prophet. That's why it's canonized. That's why Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets today. No. I'm not saying that somebody can't get a word from God. The Bible says in Joel 2 that in the last days, God's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. So I'm not saying prophecy won't happen. I'm saying don't ever treat any prophet the same that the Old Testament prophets were treated by God. They spoke the inerrant, infallible word. Their words were God's words, and that's why they're in the Bible. 
Modern prophets are not speaking with that accuracy. And many of them are false prophets completely. And others are not false. They're good, well-intentioned people. But they're not at the same level of a prophet of God in the Bible. They're just not. And the same is true for apostles. There are no new apostles in the way that the Bible speaks of apostleship in, in, the, in the, the early church. When those guys died, that level of apostleship died with them. When these prophets were gone, no new prophets came up. Now you say, well, Greg, okay, you're saying that, but can you really give me some scripture that would substantiate or back up what you're saying? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be here just shortly. Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll pick it up right there at verse 1. Go ahead and turn. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And, in, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, uh, uh, right hand of the majesty on high. In the Old Testament, God spoke by the prophets. But these days, He's speaking through the words of Christ. We have the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecy in the New Testament. Isn't that wonderful? So it's no accident that the word spoken or the word spoke is, is in the past tense. God has conclusively spoken to His people through the testimony of His Son recorded on the pages of Scripture. What the Old Testament prophets looked forward to with longing, we can look back upon with absolute certainty. Isn't that wonderful to know? So why would you need a modern prophet when you have everything complete right here in the Word of God? And then let's go another direction with this. Some will argue that a prophet can get it wrong, and often there's an interference with human intervention when they speak, so don't think that everything they say is going to be right or going to be perfect. Well, you're indicting yourself when you say that. Okay, 2 Peter 1.21. Write that down. 2 Peter 1.21. Look what it says here. 2 Peter 1.21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what God gave to His prophets was not diminished one iota, by human fallibility. The Holy Spirit so superintended the speaking and writing of every single word such that what God wanted to say was spoken and it was spoken unequivocally. That's from John MacArthur. It's a solid, solid position. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible demonstrates four foundational characteristics of true prophecy. Number one, true prophets always speak verbally the very words of God. It's never an impulse. It's never an impression. It's never a feeling that needs interpretation. Uh, 
True prophecy is a precise message from God. They don't mess up. If you're a true prophet, you don't mess up. Second, true prophets, uh, it's testable as either true or false. I mean, either it's going to be true or it's not. And if somebody says they're a prophet and they gave this prophecy and it didn't come true, what, are you gonna, what do you take from that? They're not a prophet. I don't care how many times they tell you they're a prophet. I don't care how many people follow them as a prophet. I don't care what title they carry as a prophet. They're not a prophet. They might get some things right every once in a while, and that's okay. I, I was, with all this nonsense, you know, with the election and all, and man, all these prophets show up out of the woodwork, you know, it's kind of crazy. And so I'm on some news agency, you know, watching it, Newsmax or something, and they had this prophet who said, you know, this guy. And, I'm, and here's what he said. Here's how he, here's how he gave his prophecy. Before he gave the prophecy, whatever the prophecy was about Trump, which was, of course, that Trump's going to be put back into office, which I guess that didn't happen. I'm not saying I'm happy about it, but I'm just telling you that's what happened. But the reality is, before this guy could ever get the prophecy out, here's what he did. He spent five minutes telling you all the things he's gotten right in the past. When you've got to justify and qualify yourself as a prophet, you're, you ain't a prophet. You don't find Isaiah going up and saying, you know, before I give you the thus saith the Lord, let me just tell you that in the last 20 years, 17 of my prophecies have come true. Because, you know, okay, yeah, there were three that didn't. No, everything Isaiah said was true. Everything. Second, true prophecy is propositional. It's testable, either true or false, okay? And then, uh, thirdly, true prophecy is infallible. Whatever God spoke through His prophets was error-free and utterly unaffected by human fallibility. Lastly, because a true prophecy is verbal, propositional, and inerrant, the only conclusion to draw is that it carries the full weight of divine authority. Listen to me. If it's a true prophet, it's in the Word of God. If somebody's given you a prophecy, that means it should be in the Word of God. You don't have anybody today that can do that. Nobody. That era has passed. Now again, God can give dreams and visions and He can speak things and I believe that's true. But when you hear that stuff, you better go right back with your Berean filter and check the Word of God. Because if what they're saying doesn't line up with the Word or they're giving extra super knowledge of something that's not anywhere in the Bible to be found, it ain't God. Don't get caught by that stuff. Be very careful. So we go on, verse 20, And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. When it says from Dan to Beersheba, that's another way of saying from the northernmost to the southernmost part of Israel. Or that's another way of saying from the east coast to the west coast, from New York City to California. Okay, that's what he's saying. All the territory of Israel knew that Samuel was a prophet of God. That's awesome. And the last verse, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So where, God, where the word of God was rare in that day, all of a sudden when, when, Dan, when Samuel shows up, God starts speaking again. God's got somebody He can trust. And He's got a word to give to the people. And what you see Samuel saying, you see in Scripture because it was from God. You can trust the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. Amen? Yes. Let's close in prayer. Father.
It is so good to be in your word. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and you would warn us. There's so many uh, pitfalls in this world. There's so many things that can ensnare us and entangle us that come from the enemy or come from our own flesh or come from those who, who, who claim to be some super apostle or super prophet or whatever. Father, I pray that you would draw us back to the purity and the clarity of the Word of God, which is without error, meaning it never leads to error. It is infallible. It's trustworthy. And so, Father, we pray that tonight uh, the words of Jesus would settle on our hearts as we leave, that heaven, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.